cogitatione scordisenus in generatione et generatione. The thoughts of his heart are to all generations. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. We are no less present to the thoughts of the heart of Jesus today than we were over 2,000 years ago. When that heart was pierced by the soldier's lance, opened, we heard last night at Matins, We are, each of us, the object of the thoughts of the Sacred Heart of Jesus at this very moment. We, frail, forgetful, inconstant creatures, sometimes say to one another, I'll be thinking of you. Jesus, speaking to us from the heart, says, I am thinking of you now. The memory of each one of us, no, the face, the soul, the heart of each one of us, each one's origin, each one's personal history is present to the heart of Jesus now. And we sang in the intro it, Ut eruat a morte animas eorum, to deliver their souls from death. To deliver their souls from the death of sin. We speak of mortal sin, that is, sin capable of dealing a death blow to the soul. The heart of Jesus would deliver us, would deliver our souls, ut eruat a morte animas eorum. And this he does by the infinite mercy of his heart forgiving, not once, not now and again, but forgiving always. In some way, the sacraments of penance and the Most Holy Eucharist are revealed in the intro of this Mass to deliver their souls from death, 
The words of absolution in the sacrament of penance do just this. And then, et alat eos infame, and feed them in famine. Here we have the Most Holy Eucharist. These are the two gifts of the Sacred Heart of Jesus available to us always. The sacraments by which he communicates the love of his heart and the lifeblood of his heart to the members of his mystical body. The song verse of the intro, it is a response to the first part of the intro. We are told that we are always held in the thoughts of the heart of Jesus, never forgotten. We are told that the desire of his heart is to deliver us from death and to feed us in famine. And what do we respond in the psalm verse? Exultate justi in domino. Rejoice in the Lord, ye just. Not because you are just by your own justice, but because you have been justified by the justice of Jesus Christ communicated to us in the mercy of his sacred heart. Rejoice in the Lord, he just praise becometh the upright. The other day I was praying, and our Lord reminded me of something, something about himself. He said, Dominus erigit elisos. The Lord lifts up the fallen. He reminded me that he is the one who lifts up the fallen. And so, when the psalmist says, Praise becometh the upright, rectos, those who are standing up straight and tall, those who are right and upright are contained in that word. Upright and right. Rectos decet collaudatio. If we are ever right with God and upright in his presence, it is because Jesus is the one who lifts those who fall bends low to take us in his arms to press us to his heart saying now stand up I have made you fit for the praise of my father recto stichet collagatio the gradual of this Mass of the Sacred Heart is immensely comforting. Dulcis et rectus dominus. The Lord is sweet and righteous. Not just righteous, 
were he just righteous, we would all be obliged to cast ourselves on the ground with our noses in the dust. Like the woman caught in adultery. But the Lord is sweet, dulcis et rectus dominus. This sweetness of the Lord is a very rich expression. It means, first of all, that he is gentle in his dealings with us. Sweetness and meekness are very nearly equivalent terms in the Bible. Our Lord is meek and gentle in his dealings with us. There is nothing harsh in him, nothing vindictive. He is sweet and he is righteous. Therefore, proter hoc, he will give a law to sinners in the way. That is, he will show us, he will decree for us the way out of our misery into his mercy. And this decree of the Lord, the law that he gives to sinners, is given us in the Alleluia verse. But there is, before the Alleluia verse, the verse of the gradual, diliget mansuetos in judicio. He will guide the mild, the meek, understand by this those who are teachable, the docile. He will guide those who allow themselves to be taught in judgment, that is, into his way of seeing and judging all things. St. Paul speaks of this in Philippians, when he says, have in you the mind that was in Christ Jesus. He will teach the meek his ways. The man who goes to the sacred heart of Jesus, so deluded as to think that he has nothing to learn and nothing to receive, will receive nothing from the heart of Jesus. Whereas the man who goes to the heart of Jesus displaying empty hands and saying, I have all to learn from thee, O sacred heart of Jesus, and all to receive from thee. Oh, to that man he will teach his ways. And the Alleluia verse. The Alleluia verse allows Jesus himself to speak to us. This is remarkable because in the gospel of this Mass of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, our Lord says nothing. It is simply the account of the opening 
of his side, the piercing of his heart. Not a word from Jesus. Although the fathers tell us that when Longinus pierced the side of Jesus, it was in order to open a kind of mouth in the side of Jesus. And out of this mouth, what does he say? The Alleluia verse tells us, take my yoke upon you. Now this, this yoke, tolite yugum meum super vos. We don't always grasp the meaning of this. The word conjugal derives from the Latin word for yoke. Because in holy marriage, a man is yoked to his wife. This means that he must adjust his pace to her pace. They must walk together in the same direction. He cannot go one way and she another because they are yoked together. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, tolite yugum meum superbos, he is telling us that he wants to enter into a kind of spousal relationship with our souls. He wants us to be yoked to him, and he yokes himself to us, making it impossible for him to go one way and we to go another. The soul yoked to Jesus goes with him ad patrem, to the Father. It cannot be otherwise without breaking the yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I am meek and humble of heart. Now, how is this learning linked to this being yoked? Being yoked implies a real closeness. It means that we walk together with Jesus, that our steps are nearly synchronized. And in this relationship with our Lord, we learn the secrets of his heart. We learn that he is gentle. We learn that he is humble. We learn that in those hours of life when we are incapable of going forward quickly, he adjusts his pace to ours. This is the humility of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And there is a promise. You shall find rest to your souls. 
et invenietis requiem animavus vestis. It is restful to be yoked to Jesus. What exhausts us, what fatigues us, what wears us down and causes every manner of dejection and distress is when we try to shake off the yoke and go our own way. That is what distresses a man. That is what exhausts him. That is what casts him down. The Gospel ended with the words, Videbunt inquem transfixerunt. They shall look on him whom they pierced. And so we are left at the end of the Gospel in some way standing with the mother of Jesus and with St. John his beloved disciple, and with Mary Magdalene, and with the other women, and with the centurion. We are left there, standing at the foot of the cross, and gazing on the wound opened in his sacred side. And in that moment, the heart of Jesus speaks to our hearts. And what does the heart of Jesus say? We're given it in the offertory antiphon. You may know that this offertory antiphon was, how shall I say it, instrumental in bringing about the foundation of our monastery. My heart, so it is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking of his sacred heart. My heart, he says, hath expected reproach and misery. He is, I think, referring to his agony in Gethsemane. And I looked for one that would grieve together with me. Could you not watch one hour with me? And St. Mark tells us in his account of Gethsemane that they all fled, leaving Jesus alone. We often consider the bodily sufferings of Jesus in his bitter passion. But in the text I read in chapter the other day from John Henry Newman, we heard something of the mental and emotional sufferings of Jesus in his passion. And chief among these was his abandonment by all in the hour of his agony. And I looked for one that would grieve together with me. In fact, before speaking of one who would comfort him, 
and he says he found none. He tells us that he looked for one that would grieve together with him, one capable of weeping with him, of staying with him. of remaining close to him and allowing him to express the grief of his sacred heart. I looked for one that would grieve together with me, but there was none. And for one that would console me, and I found none. If I tell you that this offertory verse, this fragment of Psalm 68, was instrumental in the foundation of our monastery, it is because in our vocation to adoration and reparation, we offer ourselves to be close to Jesus in the solitude of an agony that Pascal tells us will last until the end of time. Oh, mystery. We are here to console him. I often think of little Saint Francisco of Fatima, was discovered one day hiding in a corner of the little parish church there. And he was asked, Francisco, what are you doing there? And he said, naively, as children are wont to do, I am here to console the hidden Jesus. There is, in our vocation, this call to be with Jesus and to console him. And we come to the communion antiphon, which is lifted textually out of the gospel. This often happens, that the communion antiphon focuses on one line in the Gospel and allows it to resonate during Holy Communion. This is the Church's way of telling us that in Holy Communion on any given day, our Lord not only gives us the adorable mysteries of his body and blood, but he gives himself to us also bear with my imprecise language, under the species of the gospel of the day. That is to say that Jesus comes to us in Holy Communion with all of the reality and the mystery and the grace announced in the gospel. What the gospel announces, Holy Communion gives us. One of the soldiers with a spear opened his side. Jesus comes to us in Holy Communion today with an opened side, with a pierced side. 
and immediately there came out blood and water. He gives us in Holy Communion today the blood and water that gush forth from his sacred heart. Blood and water to disinfect our souls, to cleanse them, to vivify them. Blood and water that contain and communicate the life of the Sacred Heart. And so this is what we have to look forward to in Holy Communion today. A transfusion of the very lifeblood of the Sacred Heart of Jesus into our souls. There is no closer union with him than this. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.